As we open our Bibles up to Luke chapter 2, it's a familiar passage. We'll be just looking at verse 15 as I draw you to draw your attention to the inspired, infallible Word of God as it was given to us in the originals. It is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy God. The Scriptures teach us what we need to know about God, and it also teaches us what God expects of us. In chapter 2, verse 15, you're going to see an interesting passage. Uh, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we have been able to be still for a moment listening to the music... I pray that you will now speak to us. We've come not to hear a great sermon. We've come not to be entertained. We've come to meet you. Lord, speak to us. I pray that you might help us to make the unexpected journey to the cross. I pray that you'll speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a, a, a poem that was written in 1744 by Charles Wesley. Some of you know it. I know you're probably familiar with it because uh, it's the lyrics to a familiar hymn. But 1744, that was a long time ago. And he wrote these words, Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. I've been fascinated with the term expected. Today's sermon is talking about the unexpected, the unexpected journey. But when Charles Wesley wrote this, he says, come thou long expected Jesus, come and do the expected journey. And he says, you're born to set the people free from our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. And in the second verse, you're born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. It's an interesting, uh, interesting poem that captured the very message that the shepherds got. There's a message of hope, a message of encouragement. There is an expectation that arises. But the question I'm asking today is about us and about the journey that we've been on. Now, if you're following along with the candles as an aid, uh, we have already done three Advent services, or we've done two, we're on the third. The, uh, we've been doing the unexpected journeys of the seraphs, of the sages, and today's is now the shepherds. Now, when it came to the seraphs, the angels, where did they come from? What was the journey? From heaven to Nazareth. Just think about that little town of Nazareth. Secondly, we did from the sages, the wise men. And where did they come from? From the east all the way to Jerusalem, as we looked at last week, when they were looking for the one born king. Today, we go to the fields and we look at the shepherds. Fascinatingly, it's the shortest of the unexpected journeys. It's really short. If I have a map up, I'll be able to point it out to you that if you get, if, by the way, there's room for one more lady I'm look, praying for to join us on the trip to Israel. But if you were going to take a trip from Jerusalem, from here down to Bethlehem, it's a short journey. It's not that far. But if you look at the terrain, what kind of terrain is it? Okay, there's hills there. It's not like the Rocky Mountains, but it's pretty hilly. So if you're going to go, you got to go up and down. You got to go over and around. You got to be able to go through that thing. Now, you can see where all of this is taking place. The Dead Sea is over here, the Jordan River, and this valley down at the bottom is, is uh, 
is where a lot of things are able to grow because it's closer to the river there. But now if you go to the next map, you're going to be able to see that uh, this is a little bit of a distance, but you can see in today's world, uh, Bethlehem is in the West Bank, whereas Jerusalem is the furthest east point of this area here. It's interesting. It's not, you know, we always pray for the peace of Jerusalem. There's a reason for praying for that peace, okay? Uh, Just like we should pray for the peace of our cities here, there's a reason. Uh, There's sinners over there. I think we have one more map, if you could bring up, uh, that shows us the next, is that we've been looking at Nazareth. We have Jerusalem here and Bethlehem here. And I just want to give you that that digesting for a moment. Now, if if you're the shepherds, You know, it's hard to put a map up of where the shepherds are coming from. Do you know why? Because it's so close. It's so close. You can't even put a star next to it because it was just basically in the outskirts of the little town of Bethlehem. Now, I'm going to enlist the help of Charles Schultz to be able to tell the story in a little more detail. As I've shared, this is the 50th anniversary. It's a little bit older than me. But when Linus told us these words, I think some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, these are words that... Anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherd. Abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Think about those words. I learned them in the King James Version. Do you? A lot of kids don't hear the message of Christmas anymore. They can't answer Charlie Brown's question, What is Christmas all about? Well, the shepherds were told and they had a divine appointment to make sure it was said. Now, how do we know that this really happened? This message that Linus Linus is reproducing comes from eyewitness accounts that Dr. Luke ended up getting. He came back after some of the missionary journeys with the Apostle Paul. He met with Mary. He met with other people. He probably met some of the shepherds themselves. Eyewitness accounts. And I'm quite certain that, at least I assume, that he was able to meet some of the people that heard the reaction of the shepherds. You know, when they were returning, praising God and rejoicing, I think he actually would have talked to people who said, you know, those quiet shepherds out in the fields, they weren't quiet that day. I think Dr. Luke recorded this, and he's the only one to give us this information. Matthew and Mark don't give it, but Luke does. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in their fields. Until the messenger came. Now, I wanted to be able to state this unexpected journey. Nobody ever thought that they would be coming to visit Jesus. Nobody ever thought this. 
And so for you to ponder this message today, I hope that you will understand that you may not have even thought about it for yourself. The journey from here to the crash to the cross. Have you made it? Or is it still unexpected in your life? This morning, we had the testimony of two, young, or two men who told us about their journey. During Sunday school, two fellows stood up and they gave testimony of how God took them from there to here, to the church, to the cross. I want to encourage you to ponder that as we reflect this. But there's two points to this sermon. The first one is this is an unexpected journey that would have never happened on its own. And secondly, this is an unexpected journey that required God's involvement. That's simply the point I want to make. It is very reformed in theology. And I think you're going to catch it as you see it as we walk it through. Number one, this event was never going to happen on its own. So the first point is stasis. Stasis. When you think about that for a moment, people have said it. I've heard it. I've heard it in my own home. I've heard it in our church. I've heard it in our country. The more that things change, the more that things will stay the same. You see, we're all prone to think that people don't change. We're all wired to believe that law of thermodynamics, that things that are in motion are going to stay in motion unless there's some kind of action that stops it. Today, I want to make the point, as, Paul, as, the, as the Dr. Luke brings out, is that things were going to stay the same. If you look at the text, there's two things that I'll bring out in the stasis. One is a state of being, and the other is a state of continuity, a state of continuing. The first point is a state of being. If you remember the verse in, in, uh, there at the beginning, and, and, and there were in the same country. Did you hear the state of being verb? And there were. When I look around at our culture today, I can use a state of being as well. And there were in Lewis, and there were in coastal Sussex, and there were in eastern United States, and there were in America, and there were on this globe people. State of being. They exist. You know what it feels like, don't you? Sometimes you feel like you're just existing. A state of being. A stasis. And when you ponder that for a few moments, the Dr. Luke wanted us to know that this is where they were. This is where they were. How exciting. How many of you want to change lives with them? These people that were out in the fields. Sounds really exciting. Doesn't it make you just want to jump back in Bible times? I'll tell you, after we go visit Bethlehem, everybody on our trip will be thankful that they don't live there. It's just one of those things that you realize, the state of being, this is the way it was. And that's the second part of the stasis, is this is the way it's going to continue to be. If you look at the text, how Luke brings it out, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields. Notice the abiding. This is where they were yesterday. This is where they are today. And this is where they're going to be. You understand. And what were they doing? They were keeping watch over their flocks by night. Now, I want you to know, this is not like keeping watch over the television where you have new movies coming out and you have new stimuli, where you have this coming out, you know, the, the Star Wars is coming out or you have uh, the next this or the, this series of that. You know, when they're keeping watch, they're not glued to the TV set. What are they watching? Let me set up the sheep so you can keep watch over the sheep. Let's keep watch over the sheep. 
Very exciting, isn't it? Now, I want you to know that Luke is driving this point home to us, and you may have skipped it, even though you've memorized it with Linus. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over those sheep even by night. I'm telling you, isn't it the way that you watch some people's lives? They are just routine. They just go through the motions. They do what they've always done. They say what they've always said. They repeat their father. They repeat their mother. And they keep the cycle going because they don't know any better. This is what they think their livelihood is. This is the existence that they have. Some attribute it to God. Most don't. And they were there doing what they've always done. Stasis. They were never going to make the journey to the little town of Bethlehem and to the stables on their own. Never. Now, you remember the law of thermodynamics? Things in motion are going to be staying in motion until, unless acted upon by an unbalanced force. This is the point that is exciting. And I want to encourage you to take notice that this is, should be reflective in your own life as well. And this is the second point, is the stimuli. The first point is the stasis of the shepherds. The second part is the stimuli. This is what God ended up engaging in in order to change things, in order to bring about a journey, an unexpected one. There are four stimuli that you'll find in the text that I want to walk you through. The first is God gives them the stimulus of a missionary. Now, what do you mean? I didn't see, you know, that guy, Bill, that came last week that's going to France. By the way, he really enjoyed meeting a lot of you last week. He hopes to come back. Uh, but anyway, the missionary. In, in Romans chapter 10, you'll understand how beautiful are the feet of them who bring good news. Well, this angel was the, mess, was the missionary. I don't know if he had beautiful feet, but when the angel came unto him, if you read it in your passage, because after he gets through the stasis, and as they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in their field, keeping watch over their flock by night, uh, and suddenly the angel of the Lord came upon them. That's the first point I want to drive home, is that God produced a change. They were stuck in their stasis, but God sent someone to speak to them. God sent someone to communicate the gospel to them. God sent a messenger. And that's the actual word for an angel. Angelos means messenger. He sent them a missionary, someone that was on a mission who came from heaven to earth as we testified with the seraphs. Wow. Has anybody ever come into your life? Has God ever rocked your world by causing someone to speak truth to you? To open your eyes up to something that was plain in front of your sight that you never saw? Praise God for the stimuli of missionaries. People with the good news on their lips. The second stimuli is a little interesting. And suddenly, there was with the angel... Well, I'm jumping a little ahead. Because as... And and let me go to the text to make sure I get it right. Uh, In Luke chapter 2... And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, verse 9. And then secondly, the glory of the Lord shone round about them. Did you see the brightness? This doesn't even begin to compare with what the shepherds had out in the dark night. You remember, in the dark night, what happens to your eyes in the darkness? They get used to the little bit of light. When the glory of the Lord shone about them, 
Can you just imagine for a moment? What in the world is God doing to these little shepherds who were keeping watch over their flocks? He sends them a missionary and then he shines a bright light. The glory of the Lord was around them. And I'm telling you, there's nobody out there that would have fallen asleep seeing that bright light. During the uh, parade in Lewis, they had one of those floats that had the giant spotlight that shoots up in the air. I always pictured that that was kind of what it must have looked like. You know, that God had some spotlights in the sky and he shined them down on that one's place. So no matter where you were, your attention was drawn to that messenger. The glory of the Lord. Now, why did God show him this glory? You know, when the first stimuli was a messenger because they needed to learn something. The second was that they needed their attention to be grabbed. And what does the text tell us about when they saw this bright light? They were, come on, Linus said it very well. They were sore afraid. When was the last time you had fear? When was the last time you realized that you weren't bigger than everybody else? When you realized that your thoughts were inadequate? When you realized that you were less than? You see, when the shepherds realized that there was this glory that was greater than them, they were sore afraid. They were extremely afraid. And this is how God often gets our attention. He puts us into a situation where we have fear because we can't control it anymore. This is bigger than us. A lot of you would say you would like to be delivered from fear, wouldn't you? I don't want to be afraid. I want you to know that fear is a healthy thing. And the angel quickly came back and he says, you don't have to be afraid. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all kinds of people. And that's going to be the third stimuli. When you realize the first one is the missionary, the second is the glory, the third is the hope. There is something on the horizon. You don't have to stay in your stasis anymore. There is a savior. There is something that's happening in this world and you should take notice of it. There is hope that there's going to be a better tomorrow. There's a lot of people sitting in this room today who are putting a lot of hope in November of 2016. There are a lot of people who are putting their hope, if just this, if just that, and you know what I'm talking about, because you're placing your hope in those things too. If only, or I'll wait till this. Well, the angel gave them hope. For unto you is born, not tomorrow, not six years from now, but today there is one who can bring deliverance, a savior who is Christ the Lord. You'll find him in a manger. He's right here. In fact, if you could be a shepherd, you know, it'd be like looking out to the back door of the room and say, hey, back right there, right there. You could just hear the angel saying, over there in Bethlehem. It's that close. They were so close and yet so far away until the angel's giving them hope. It's not always gonna be the same way that it always has been because a savior's been born today. And the fourth part that I like to bring out in this is that there were some instructions. Yes, praise God that there were some instructions. He just didn't say, oh, there's a wonderful Savior. He said there was more than that. He says, let me show you what needs to be communicated. This morning, one of the brothers that gave testimony said that there was a church that was out there where where he would uh, be driving back and forth from work. He wasn't a Christian. It was the tallest building, he said. And uh, George was telling the story about how on the one blink was what must I do to be saved 
And then you'd hear a click, and then it gave the answer from Acts 16, 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. You had instructions. Hey, if you want to know the answer, then you're going to have to know what comes next. And the, and the apostle Luke, Luke uh, the, the missionary Luke, ends up recording to us, this is what was given to them, to these shepherds, who, by the way, didn't have a great education. These shepherds didn't have to have a great education. They understood about sheep. They knew about the weather. They were familiar with a lot of things. But they didn't know all the ins and the outs. We're not even sure they could read the scrolls or if they'd ever been in church to read them. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. When you start to realize the instructions, they're saying, You're going to find a babe. You're going to see it. You're going to go here and he's going to be in the manger. And they all knew where the mangers were. And you're going to find these detailed things. Sometimes we want more details. I just was going through the prophet Gideon and looking at how he struggled. In our Thursday Bible story, we were talking about here's a man who who was cowardly almost. And yet God ends up showing him, you don't have to be afraid. I'll give you signs. I'll show you the way. I'll make a light unto your path. I'll make a light for your next footstep to go down. God doesn't promise us that he'll tell us where we're going to be in 10 years. He does tell us where we're going to be in eternity. But he says, I'll be with you today. And I'll be with you tomorrow. And that's the instructions we get. This this short journey was made very quickly. When you look at how this simple little flow went. The stimuli number four, the personal instructions. And so I want to wrap up the sermon with this. So what? Isn't it nice that the shepherds made that little journey It was exciting for them. Instead of watching the sheep, they were able to get out and go look at the little lamb of God. I found it quite interesting when I think about the things that the shepherds might have known. You know, there's been 400 silent years. And during those 400 silent years, the only thing that any of the people of God had from God was the scrolls, was the Old Testament. The 66 books, they weren't all parsed out quite like we have them, but they were all written down. And the last guys to speak were the prophets. And when you think about the prophets, what did the prophets tell people? For any of you that know, there are 17, minor, or 17 prophets, five major and 12 minor. What, what is the message of the prophets in a nutshell? Did they say, yay, yay, yay? No, if you read the Old Testament at the end, which probably most of you don't do, you're going to end up finding that when the prophets spoke and they said, thus said the Lord, he usually said judgment's coming. He usually said that here's a little bit of hope that for unto you a child is born. Or he's going to say, oh, little Bethlehem, there's out of you will come one from Micah. If I go back and I show you, almost all the prophets had all the gloom and doom mentality, except they offered a little hope, just like we find from the messenger today. The prophets of old had spoken And I think that some of these shepherds, while they were out in the field, mimicked little David. Because what was David's first occupation? And where did he do his shepherding? Around Bethlehem. You know the story. You know, when uh, when Mary and Joseph were were going to be taxed, they went down to, to Bethlehem because Joseph was of the house and lineage of 
David. See, David was a shepherd and David's dad, Jesse, was from that area. And that's where the sheep that they used to tend to and watch. That's where David used to watch. And that's where David used to write a lot of the Psalms. When he would play his lyre and his, his little harp. Where he learned to commune with God. It was out in those fields. And it's kind of interesting and ironic that God doesn't forget the people that are out in those same fields. And the prophets have spoken and they talked about the shepherds. And I want to just read a few passages for you. If you could turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 34. We're going to look at verse 17 and following. Ezekiel chapter 34 verse 17. Because um, earlier on in that chapter he says, As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places. And in verse 17, if you have that verse up there, in Ezekiel 17, or 34, 17, As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I judge between sheep and sheep. It is not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down your feet the rest of the pasture and to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water for your feet. But... And must my sheep eat while you have trodden with your feet? In verse 20, Therefore says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. And then at the end, I'm jumping down to verse 30, Ezekiel 34, 30 and 31. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God and that I am with them, the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord. You see, the prophet Ezekiel had it there. If I took you to the other prophet that I think the the shepherds might have known some of these things, in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 41, I will set shepherds over them who will care for the sheep, and they will fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall shall they be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land, and Judah will be saved. You see, I think that some of the shepherds knew some of these passages as well as the one that they could have no doubt quoted like we can from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You see, these shepherds understood shepherding because they had heard about the great shepherd. And wow, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world was in their midst. And I just want to finish with this thought. If there was anybody that understood the value of a lamb, who do you think it would be? A shepherd. Now, when it came to Passover, who do you think were popular people? The shepherds, because everybody needed a lamb. Now, the priests, you could argue, are pretty popular too. But you, in order to go, you had to get a lamb. And what kind of a lamb did you want? Did you want a big one, a little one, a fat one? Did you want a dark one, a light one? What did you want? You wanted a spotless lamb. And you know, the shepherds understood about the sheep. They were gazing at them for a long time. They could spot the ones that were pure. Isn't it fascinating that unto them, God sent one of his special messengers and said, the Savior is come. The one who will save his people is here. He's just over that hill. And I ask you, did they just start twiddling their thumbs and said, Stasis, 
We're not gonna do anything different. No. What does the text tell? If you join with Linus, you would be able to say, and, <laughs> and, they, and with haste, they, they went to Bethlehem to see these things which the Lord had made known unto them. I mean, it's so exciting to realize that this changed everything because they knew that the great shepherd was shepherding them like sheep who had gone astray, who had turned everyone to his own way. And he took them to the one upon whom all of our sins would be put. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. Has your sins been taken to the cross via Jesus? If they're not, then you're yet in your sins and you're still in the stasis. God has not begun a good work in you and he will not finish it. But I pray that that is not the case. That the stimulus of God to bring someone into your life with the gospel, someone into your life who will shock you that to show you that you're not God, bring fear of God into you. Someone who will tell you about the Savior and someone who will instruct you to run to the cross with haste. Don't delay. Today is the day of salvation. For unto you a Savior's been given.